still. The others, find them and tell them not to doubt. Even now, not to doubt. Tell them to keep their faith. They must keep faith. Welcome to the Fen Warren Podcast here in the Sound United Studios in beautiful downtown Warren, Ohio. I have a very honored guest with me today, Mr. Greg Bartholomew, owner of All American Comics, right on West Market Street in downtown Warren. Looking forward to hearing his story. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. I start off with everyone. Where were you sure. born? Where'd you go to school? And we'll go from there. Uh, I was born in uh, Warren General Hospital in 1966. Well, you're old. Uh, yes, <laughs> I am. I feel old, too. <laughs> Um, grew up in Levittsburg, so I am a true West Side of Warren person. The original West Side, as we call it out right. there. Uh, <laughs> graduated from La Brea in 1985. Typical teenager around this area. Did you swim in the Mahoning River? The Brickyard Pond. Okay. Actually, way back there, we went fishing when I was five and fell in. So, But my grandma and grandpa had a pool out in Levittsburg, and I learned to swim when I was three. So it was... It came in handy when I ever got pushed into a, a body of water. Um, always had an affinity for collecting comic books. My mom's German, so we would have family come over from Germany. So oh, we wow. Would, we would get thrown into the van in the summertime and go to Niagara Falls or Washington, D.C. or Zor or some of the more historic places. And to keep me and my brother quiet, we would each get you know, some money for comic books because there was no handheld video games or tablets back then. Right. But, I mean, that's kind of what started the love of sequential art, so to speak. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Uh, Klein Abyssal. Okay. I know all the, I know the swear words okay. only from lovely mother using them on me, but, you know, after a while you figure them out. Right. Um, went to Ohio State for a couple of years, came home, transferred to the Youngstown, graduated in 90 with a math degree i subbed and taught ged stuff out of general motors for four or five years while i opened the store down here in uh, warren in 93 okay and you know um i've lived a pretty interesting life so far and we hope we're going to dig into that a little bit today oh well now you know <laughs> it, it's like when you do the interview it's like did you say convicted felon no not convicted but um i've had a good time you yeah. know i tell people um and I get with my high school buddies maybe once a year, and I tell them, I go, you know what? Nobody's got better stories than we do, and they're not fables. I mean, there's no stretch of the imagination. And some of the guys that work for me that are like ten years younger than I am, they just look at me like, "You guys did what?" No, you got to give us. You can't say that. And not share at least one story. Oh, I, maybe two. You said this was G-rated, so well, no, no cursing, no cursing. Oh, no cursing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just. <laughs> Typical shenanigans or... I'll, sh I'll share a know, story, but I want to hear one of yours. I mean, most of it centers around drinking. Okay. You know, going to West Lawn, buying booze, or, you know... All right, so that, that brings up an interesting things question. Things like that. Levittsburg kids... Yes. ...were not afraid to go into West Lawn, into the stores there, and buy alcohol? No. Huh. Okay. Never not at all. I mean, I lived... I, I ran track and cross country in high school... In junior high, and even though it was on the backside of Levittsburg, it was closer to go to Deemer Field to run okay. on my own than it was to drive to Braceville to go to our own track yeah. at the time. That's all, that's so, I mean, there. we hung out at West Market Street McDonald's, so we, we shared that McDonald's with the reserve kids right. all so the time. So, you were comfortable. Yeah, yeah that makes comfortable. sense. I mean, I was at 
the McDonald's in 84 when the guy pulled the gun on the girl at the drive-in and everybody yelled gun and we're all laying on the ground. I mean, it was... That McDonald's had some stories. It does. It did. You know, and if you want any, get Officer... He's retired, Joe Marhula, because he was usually there on Friday and Saturday. I'll find him. But yeah, he's a good guy. But um, I mean, we just... Just... I don't want to say harmless. It's not like we went out and robbed banks or anything like that, but... Um, you know, there's always plenty of, hey, you remember that if you weren't too drunk at the time to remember what happened then, 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 and then. I mean, we sat around and talked, my buddies and I, for till like two in the morning. And the funny thing was like, you've got six of the biggest alcoholics in the history of LeBray High School sitting here. And I think we've drank a total of two beers between all of us, but we've drank like nine bottles of wine. You know, like, <laughs> when's the last time we ever had wine you know i'm like are you kidding me usually it was we were at the fiesta we were at the crystal inn you know timeout pub out in levittsburg it's funny i i've li- i grew up in levittsburg until i was like 23 years old i've only been the wagon wheel one time you know but <laughs> yeah. i've been to every bar in warren i me and my buddy brian the one time drove around warren on a friday night going, we're going to a different bar that neither of us have been, been to we drove around for an hour and a half because it's them like, all yeah, have you been to this one? Yeah, I've been to you know, and it's just like oh, whatever. But it was all good fun, and never killed anybody, never got a DUI, never deserved it. But I mean, there were nights at the Blarney Stone where it's like, yeah. hey, yeah, uh, follow me home because I really shouldn't be driving right now, or come get my car tomorrow. But I mean, things like that. But so when I was in between seventh and eighth grade, myself and three of my buddies went on a little adventure. We picked up our yearbooks at West Junior. And uh, I don't know how we ended up deciding to do this. We went to, uh, we got on our bikes and we went to the old uh, Summit Street power plant there. That's now since long been torn down. And uh, explored through there. Of course, we broke out some windows and just went through all that building, walked across the train trestle, uh, swam in the the, uh, Mahoning River. In fact, uh, hopefully he, he, in fact, I'm going to send my buddy this podcast so he can hear the story of me talking about him because he owes me his first burn child so <laughs> we tried to get to a, an island in the river now the current was pretty strong in that portion because the dam's right down right. there yeah i was gonna say don't don't go over the dam no we were far enough away the we didn't realize this we were jumping from little island or patch of land to patch of land of course we're getting soaking wet and we're you know swimming in our clothes right so my my buddy mike sees we get let's get to this one and there was a branch hanging out over, and it looked like you could Tarzan across, right? So he goes, I'm going to try it. Well, the whole branch just bent and just dunked him in the water. It was the funniest thing. <laughs> and he pops up, you know, shaking his head, and we're dying laughing. So I jump. Billy jumps. Josh jumps. I think I don't know if Josh Corklick was there or not. And then John Allen. Or then I go, and then John Allen was last. Well, he got caught in a current and started going under. I jump in. It's kind of big for my age. I was bigger right. than those guys. I grab him and I throw him onto the little island. He grabs the grass, pulls himself in. He gets up. He goes, I think you just saved my life. So anytime I see him, like, you stole me your firstborn child. <laughs> that's so. That's some of the adventures. Does he have any have. kids? Oh, yeah. He's, he's, oh, he lives around in the area. He's got three children. My friends lived off a of Kibler toot. And the same thing, like the Duck Creek was going through there. And there was a little patch there. Yeah. Over the bridge, my friend Tony goes, my buddy Ivan, he goes, hey, if you jump out on that patch, I'll jump out. And he's like, all right, whatever. <laughs> yeah, the dares we take so, is so, so he dares him to do it. So Ivan jumps out there and it's nothing but mud. And he goes up to his knees in it. 
and we're laughing. He pulls out, he loses a shoe, you know, and you're like <laughs> just cracking up. We're like 13 or 14. Right. So he gets back on the bridge and Tony dares him to do it again. And the dummy does it. And Tony still never jumped in after him. And we're like, you fell for the same trick twice, you idiot. You know, and it's like, you just think back and go, how, you know, how gullible you were back then sometimes, or, you know, just some of the harmless stuff we did. Like we stole a tire swing the one time and, you know, we're running down Kibler Toot only because the, we needed some thick rope for some reason to make yeah. some kind of, you know, ring that we we're going to do some wrestling in or things <laughs> like that. But, I mean, we we put together a, a wrestling show in 85 at Johnson Community Center two weeks after the tornado hit. And we oh, needed yeah. we needed poles. So I go to my mom and dad. I go, hey, I need to borrow the van tonight. And dad's like... What do you need the van for? I go, well, we're moving some stuff. So we went to Newton Falls because it was still destroyed. And we're throwing, you know, stuff from live wires in that. You know, that's what we made our ring out of. You know, <laughs> we've got telephone poles sticking out the back of our van, you know, and they're like, and then then we went and grabbed railroad ties. And my dad's like, oh. hey, the back of the van was filthy, but we built a ring out of that. And we didn't have money for like... <laughs> Um, pads, so we just used styrofoam and, and sleeping bags, and that's what we wrestled on. And you know, you got pretty tore up with the with the zippers and things like yeah. that. But we held it at Packard, not Packard, at Johnson Community Center in Levittsburg. It four hundred people show up, really? Yeah, because it was like this was eighty five. Hulkamania just got big, so my okay. buddy's last name was. Meeks, so he called himself the Meekster. You know, he was like, all right. He was the narcissistic one out of all of us. And it was just funny, but it's like, you know, my mom and dad are there and they're like, where'd you guys build this ring from? I'm going, eh, remnants from the tornado from Newton Falls. And they're like, what? And I go, yeah, remember the night I borrowed the van? Eh, we we kind of eminent domain the rest of this stuff because it was like, no one wanted it anyway. No, no, it's Newton Falls. So I remember <laughs> I would tell my mom stories the things I did as a kid that she didn't know about. Yeah, I haven't gone that far yet. I did. I pretty much told them all. The one thing uh, we did as kids is, uh, if you remember the old plaza up on Parkman Road right near 82? Used to be uh, Ames and Murphy oh, Martin yeah. there. Oh, yeah, that was my backyard. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my buddy worked at Ames and stuff like that, and Sparkle and uh, Trumbull Camera Hobby was there. That's right. I forgot about that. And then there was Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and, and Clyde's for Battle of the Bands. My yeah. buddy Thad played there and when he was in eighth grade with my... Other buddy's older brother, fourteen years old, playing Bonnie and Clyde. How'd that go? They got second. Nice. Good for them. <laughs> we used to. I was like 10, 12 years old, and me and maybe four friends would get on our bikes and we from Southern Boulevard, ride up Parkman Road and go there and play hide and seek in there. But we weren't in there very long because you'd hear security and whatever department. When we knew, right? Because we weren't like running through there, but they knew we were goofing around. They didn't want us in there, so just little things like that. Those, 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 that's the fond memories I have of growing I, up in Warren. Yeah, because I, Grants went out when we were like in fourth grade and then becomes, what was it, Turney's? And, no, Turney's was uh, on Mahoning Avenue. But yeah, there was like, they changed a couple times, but Trumbull Cameron Hobby was in there until they moved out to Parkman Road. There was a Sparkle. And there was there, a, like a drugstore drug in there too. Drugstore too, yeah. yeah. Now but it's gone. Now it's gone. And yeah. I remember... We were going to uh, Columbus for something when I first got on council with the the mayor and, and Councilman Brown. Which mayor? Uh, Doug Franklin. Franklin we okay. just got on. I said, you know, we're right here on the corner of five and the turnpikes there. You know, it'd be nice if we put a casino right here. Yeah. Small one. Yeah. You know, and Doug was like, 
yeah, that you know, it, you know, the the stuff was you know turning as right. I'm Wheels like, are turning. I go, you got 422 right here, I mean, yeah. right at the crossroads, and you know, of course, there's nothing there because it was owned by Don Ganeri, go rest his soul. So yeah. it's uh, just like the rest of his properties, sitting there, sitting empty. there, yeah, as tax write offs. So let's get into uh, <laughs> we could we could share childhood stories all day. Let's get into uh, post high school. Oh you, boy, you went. To, you know. You don't have to get in Ohio State stories because that's a whole nother level, I would assume. But I, I want to get- That's a two-hour expose for the two years I was down there. We'll have a part two. Don't worry. Yeah. I have a part two with Bob LaRicca coming too. But um, <laughs> I had him on a couple episodes ago. I haven't posted it yet. But What a guy. Yeah. It's a great storyteller. But um, because he was a coach when I was at reserve. Oh, yeah. yeah. We played them my sophomore year. When they were number one in the country, we played them at reserve, and they waxed us 120 to 68. Yeah, they were they were good. They were awesome, then, man. So I want to get into uh, like I like to hear the story of okay, you graduate high school, you you do what every if you listen to any entrepreneurial podcast or whatever the case may be, they all say find something you love and make that your job, and that's what you did. I got lucky, and so when you graduate, you go to Ohio State. Like I'm coming home. I'm, if you want to share why, that's fine. Sure. And then you graduate at YSU and get a math degree. With a math degree, pretty much all you're going to be able to do with that is teach unless you get into some scientific research or that right. whatever. And then you decided to open a store. So little timeline. And then when you what clicked in your brain that says, I'm going to open up a comic book store? And then how did you go about doing that? I spent two years, like I said, in Columbus. That was my dream when I was six years old. Great town, by the way. Yes. Well, back then it was not as great because everything was a field. Uh, (laughs) But I decided to come home. Uh, There were some changes in the uh, education program down there. So basically they did away with four-year bachelor degrees and you had to go for five years to get a master's. My mom was a secretary at LaBray for the superintendent and she basically said, if you come home, with a five-year master's degree, nobody's going to hire you because they're going to pay you more money out the gate. So Ohio State was on quarters. Youngstown was on quarters. Everyone else was on semester. So I transferred back to YSU, finished up, started subbing two weeks after graduation, which at the time YSU didn't have graduation in the fall. So I never walked across the stage because I wasn't going to wait 12 weeks to do that. And with my mom being a secretary, she called all her secretary friends and go, my son needs a job. Well, I had also had worked since 1987 when I came home out at the Eastwood Wyatt Niles. So I would sub during the day, come home, change, and then go work at the Y four nights a week and Saturdays. So I was putting in a lot of time. I wasn't doing much collecting in the way of comic books and that, and neither was my brother. And my brother was a, a dual major from Mount Union in math and computers, stocking shelves for Don, not Don Canary, but Al Canary down here at Canary's. And it's like, well, I probably could do a little better than what we're doing until things break. So 1993, a, a friend of mine who collected sports cards was friends with John Brown, who fast forward 30 years later, I was on city council with, and John was selling baseball cards. And this guy was saying, hey, you should talk to him because he'd like to get a bigger store and sell comic books. And that's basically where it started. John Brown wanted to get a store? He had a store. Oh, in Bill Anderson's old spot on High Street. Okay. Half of it was him, which was smaller than this room, and the other half was Bill's office, and then Bill wanted to expand to the whole building there down by the VFW. Yeah. 
And John's like, well, I need another spot. So we were in the basement of the church next to the Mocha house that's not there anymore for two months. Selling selling comic books. I quit my job at the Y. Uh, I still subbed during the day, and then I opened up from three to seven, and then Biff was still working it. Um, uh, Thomas Steele and my brother was helping us out. Too. Did your brother ever work at the YMCA? No, my father did. Okay. My dad worked at Warren YMCA for 20 years. So, um, yeah, my brother did on a pick program with me in 85 and 86. Try, so, I knew of a Bartholomew that worked but this, a yeah, summer was, program. Yeah, that was might have been your brother. I don't know. I, he worked up in the office, and I worked. Yeah. Uh, I worked down with uh, James Wells and Charlie Dukes in the Nautilus room and teaching stuff. In Side the, note with Charlie Dukes. Oh, that was my guy. That man. <laughs> I never met a human being who never lifted a weight in their life and looked like that's all they did. Uh, the yeah yeah. <laughs> I don't, he, he was just, naturally as as strong as anybody i mean you had guys like bob trimble coming down there yeah. and these other guys that were mr t mr t yeah. that's what we call him, mr t and they'd get on the knowledge machines and charlie would lift as much if not yeah. more than those guys and and t t almost made the olympics in 68 as a wrestler didn't know that yeah i mean he's an olympic level you know yeah. wrestler and you still had you know the jenkins boys coming down and watts mcdonald you had you know even the browners would come through once in a while and dukes would sit there and just you're like, yeah. okay, Charlie, go move my car and uh, wash the undercarriage. Yeah. But um, I loved working down there. It was great. But I we opened the store up and I found the spot at 141, two doors down. And so I took half and Biff took half. You know, we did that for about a year and a half. And then Biff's wife had a third child and she basically said, you're not going to sell yeah. sports cards anymore. So. so you had to come up with the money to buy comic books or merchandise to we, sell. How, how did you, I had that? my, we had, my brother and I actually had our collection. Oh, you started with that. And I actually ran three comic book conventions in 1989 and 1990 between those two years at when I was going to college. So kind of took a hiatus. I'm like, you know what? One of the reasons was none of the stores in the area were, to me, very good. There were a lot of baseball card stores, but the comic book stores around here were just baseball card guys that would sell some comic books. And I'm like, I can do better than these guys, or at least I'm going to try. Right. So we did. And like I said, uh, John, after about two years, semi, you know, retired, and I took over that whole store, which was 3,000 square feet. And then that store had structural problems, and we had a lot of water coming in through three floors and this and that. And Jim Chicolo bought the building where we were at now, and he's like, do you think about moving down here? And I looked at it and saw the open brick, and I saw it was wider. I said, yeah, we're moving. So nine years later from the time we opened, we moved down to where we're at now, and I've been there since July 4th, 2002. But I also have, I, I've been in Boardman for 22 years. We You've were, had your shop in Boardman for 22 years? Yeah. I didn't know that. 23. Wow. Yeah. And then we were in Austin Town for five, and I was in Eastwood Mall for three or four. And then we actually were in Canton Center Mall for six months on a Christmas thing. So at one time in 2001 to 2002, I had four stores going at once. Wow. Which I'll never do ever again. Why? Ever. <laughs> because I am a micromanaging ah. uh, OCD uh, I mean, I've got to have my fingers in everything. Yeah. I don't. It's not that I don't trust anyone, but I know I don't trust anybody. 
I don't trust anyone, but I just don't trust I just, anyone. I just don't trust anybody. Yeah. You know, I, I, I get guys that'll come in like, do you guys hire? And I'm like, I haven't hired anybody since 1999. And they just look at me like, you're lying. And he's sitting right there and you can't. Yeah, it's like, here, talk to Josh. He's the last guy I hired in spring of 99. And the other two guys that have worked with me, uh, Dave has worked for me since he graduated high school in 94. So end of 93, beginning of 94, off and on. And then Randy's been with me since we opened up Austin Town when we opened that up in 95. So, How many guys do you have down in uh, Boardman? Uh, I got I got a manager there, a manager at Warren. I got a guy that slushes and then I slush too. So like, Back and forth? Back and forth. Okay. So, like, I'm at Warren Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm at Boardman Tuesday and Thursday. Okay. How big is the store down in Boardman? It, we actually have two parcels. So, it's about the same size, but it's two separate units. One unit's all retail. The other side's tables and chairs for the okay. kids to come play games. Where's the address at the Boardman shop? 52 Boardman Canfield Road, or is like I like to tell people, top of the hill between Jay's and McDonald's, gotcha. catty corner to the mall. So and they're like, oh, I know where Jay's is, uh, right next door. Okay. So, and, and you've been there for 22 years. I had uh, no idea. July of 97. Wow. So almost 23. I didn't realize you had a second store until a few years ago. I got guys in Boardman that don't know we have a store in Warren. It's crazy. That imaginary line between Trumbull and Mahoney yeah. County. It's That's crazy the divide is. that is. I mean, I remember I was in Modern Methods last summer, and I'm sitting there and Attorney Dave Beatrice was there with two of his underlings who, <laughs> you know, were both from yeah. this area. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I've never really been out in Warren. And I'm like, you're, are you, I go, you, I, I, you know, I know who he is. And it's like, what are you talking about? You, I, I can see not coming here because it's, it's a new spot, but I'm like, how does somebody from Youngstown or Canfield never come into town? And we're going to talk about that. And then I've got guys that live in Warren, like, oh, I don't like the traffic out in Boardman. And I'm like, have you ever been to a real city? Yeah. Because the yeah. traffic in Boardman is not bad. No. Go to Atlanta. Yeah. Or Chicago. So but, my wife's from San Diego. So I know what traffic is, man. Mm -hmm. We Just to go from, I don't know. There's nothing, there's nothing, everything's a minimum of a half hour drive. Yeah. And that's a good day. I have a friend who lives in Stevenson Ranch, California, right outside of L.A., and her work's 16 miles, and it takes her 45 minutes. That's just crazy. And I'm like, nah, I'm not doing it. I don't own a gun, but I'd shoot somebody. <laughs> yeah. I'd find traffic. something, but, but it's just crazy. The imaginary line is interesting because you're right. There's very little crossing. I think that's changing now as talking with different people, but we're the, the fortunate thing with where we live is we have everything we need within 15 minutes of where you live. Yep. You don't need to go down to Youngstown. You just don't. Youngstown people don't need to come here. They just don't. They have a mall. We have a mall. You have everything you need within about 15 minutes, mm -hmm. which is nice. But you don't get to see much if you only travel 15 minutes from your house. Well, it, it, you don't find out come, you have a second shop for 22 years. Right. I had no idea. I've had people like, you like to go out to eat, so where's your favorite place here or here? And I'll tell somebody, and like, oh, that's in Austin Town. That's, what is that, 20 minutes? And yeah, I'm like- yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I want to drive that far. Or somebody, when we were under quarantine on the uh, Trumbull County page, who's got good burgers? And I, you know, I go, hey, I go, if you've never had them, the Sunrise has great burgers down there. Do you know if they have them at the takeout in Howland? I go, I don't think so. I think it's just pizza. I live in Howland. I don't want to go that far. 
you live in Hallen, you don't want to drive. And then they That's get back. literally five minutes. Five minutes. And then they said, oh, we went to Nicolini's. I go, depending on where you live in Hallen, that might be even farther. Right. Plus, you had to go through all the mall stuff. I had a kid call me one time. He's like, uh, where are you guys at? I said, he's, he said he was 14, 15. I said, we're in downtown Warren. I don't know if my mom will let me go that far. I go, where are you from, son? I live in Howland. I go, you ever been to Eastwood Mall? Yeah, I go, it's farther from your house to go to the Eastwood Mall, unless you live on Johnny Cake, than it is if you come to downtown Warren. I said, and the next closest store is my store in Boardman. You know, if you want Yu-Gi-Oh cards. And it was just like, pew. Yeah. I think a lot of that's the, the perception of downtown or Warren in general. It is. I mean, it, it, I've been fighting for that for years. And I know the people down here have been fighting for years. And Youngstown goes through the same thing, too, yeah. because, you know, I won't say invested into downtown Youngstown, but I have a Comic-Con down there at Cavelli Center. And, you know, you well, that's won't... why, though, that's important to know. Sure. People understand why you had to because you had it where before you moved it to <sighs> here. Most recently. The first one I ever had was here when Holly Taylor owned this building in this on, building on the first floor. I dragged. 60 tables and 100 chairs from my shop's basement and set up a show here. The second and third years was at the hotel. And then they changed the side room to a breakfast bar, so they cut half the space out. The fourth year was at Scope, a.k.a. Charbonnet's. And then I was on council. I went to Packer Music Hall with Kenny and Marty because they were looking to move some of the stuff from Sunrise Entertainment for their Broadway shows there. And I'm looking around and I had never seen Packer Music Hall with all the chairs up ever because, you know, there's no events there except for high school graduations and the Packer Band, which is usually outside. So my wheels are spinning and Marty looks at me and goes, you're something's going on. I said, I think I'm going to move my show here. So I talked to Chris Stevenson, who the city was owning it still at right. the time. And then we had the show three years there and outgrew it. The last year we had 2,500 people there in one day and it was just sardines. And I'm up on the stage. I said, you know, after a half an hour, I go, I got some announcements to make one, you know, thanks for coming. And I said, two, here's the worst kept secret in the Valley. We're moving to Cavelli Center next year. And everyone's got their hands up by their heads because they can't lift them, you know, in yeah, front of them because right. it was that crowded, and everyone clapped. And then we were at Cavelli the last three years. And what what kind of attendance did you have there? Uh, Forty five hundred to five thousand people. Uh, Cavelli seats about five thousand people. Sixty six hundred with the floor. Now, obviously, we don't use the seats. We we're right. all on the, on the floor. floor, but. Uh, talking to a couple people, it's probably they think it's the biggest indoor event in the valley that's not a sporting event or a concert. So, and I wanted to set the record there because I think the most they ever had was like seventy two hundred for a Pavlik fight, and I was hoping we'd do it last year, but we didn't. You and, nerds will not take over. Oh, that, <laughs> it's fine. It's already yeah, happened. Yeah, let's, let's be honest. I, you know, <laughs> I, last year our attendance was actually a little down from the year before, so I take that personally and. You know, I always try to outdo myself. Sure. A lot of these guys hold stuff and they want to come out the gate and hold, you know, their version of Aida. And it's like, well, what are you going to do for an encore? What do you mean? Well, if you have this show this year with all these guests, you come back with a smaller amount of guests or entertainment. People think you're failing and they'll they'll give up on you. Yeah. That's how it is. But how many years when you first went from the church basement, how many years from that point to to the point where you were growing? to where you moved to where you are now? And what were some of the things you think you did right 
to True. get to that point. And then you can, of course, share some I, of the mistakes. I, I, I've had people, you know, like, how, how do you guys become so successful? I'm like, well, I don't, I go, that's just relative. You know, there's people that do a lot better than I do. Yeah, but yeah. you could still be in the basement. I could still be, well, they tore that down, so we had to leave eventually. Wow. And there was a, there was like a tumble bugs class down there. There was people teaching, you know, uh, gymnastics and that. But we were there. We were at 141, where Beautiful World is now, for nine years. And that building was just old. And, you know, it was getting tore down if Paul didn't take over and rehab it. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. It was on the demolition list. That's how bad that building was. So, and then... Like I said, we moved July 4th of 2002, so it's been 18 years. God, I've been at the new place twice as long as I was at the old place. Um, I, it's not a secret, but a lot of people don't do it. But we really didn't start getting traction in the way of seeing spikes in sales because we were pretty flat because after 15, 20 years, you can't expect that. We started advertising. Hmm. You had never advertised we for did. about 15 years? We didn't advertise as a, you know, concerted advertising. Like we'd get a call from the Trib or the Vindy. It's like, hey, do you want to take an ad out for Veterans Day? Okay. Hey, do you want to do some radio ads? Okay. You know, here's my budget. Here's 200 bucks. You know, give me what I can. But it was weird. Uh, One of the former sports editors at the Trib, Dana Salonen, had moved to sales for one of the TV companies or uh, radio companies. And she's like, I think this will help you. And it was like year long contracts for 50% off. And then I did co-op with DC comics. So I ran DC comics and it was another, I would get another 50% off. What? I don't understand. What is, what do you mean co-op with DC? A, comics? A co-op is like when you see Rolex billboards for Tom Dumas out of Boardman and that, since it's a Rolex ad, I'm sure Tom gets 50 to 75% of it paid for. Gotcha. And then we would run DC-only commercials, so I couldn't talk about the X-Men. And they gave you pre, pre-made scripts. Right. So we would run that, and then we'd, get, we'd pay for it, and we'd get 50% off. So the first year was, I think, 2011 or 2012. And our sales have always been good, but they were steady because th- there's only so much you can do. In a certain area. Right. I mean, you always top off. I mean, you can't, unless you find another market, it's tough to make more money. But then that first year, our sales were up 40% at both stores. So I know it wasn't just a fluke at one or two of the other stores. And then the following year, we were up another 20% from the 40% from the year before. And then by year three, we were almost doing double what we were doing three years earlier. So you you were doing that advertising those three years? Still do. And then the same kind of deal came through some of the TV stations. So we did that too, because that was the next logical step. I had done some cable cable ads and we did those for the show. So I'd get year-long contracts to get a better deal. We'd double things up the month before the show and then we'd spread them out over the year. And, you know, not everything was co-op because I only had a finite amount of co-op dollars which they ended the program back in December. So I had to cut back a little bit because it's still expensive. But, you know, I tell people, all my competitors, you can take their advertising budget, multiply it by 100, and I'm still better than that because they spend zero. Yeah. You know, and there's still 
my marketing budget just for the Comic-Con last year was 25,000 bucks. Wow. For a two-day event. But we do TV, radio, cable, billboards, direct mail, you know, this and, and you're, that. But you're bringing 6,000 plus people. Yeah, I don't. We don't lose. I don't. I don't put that much effort into it to lose money. Right. I mean, our total budget for the show last year was seventy five thousand bucks. That's not bad for that size. No, I mean, I was happy. I'd like to get it down a little bit, and this year we would be down if we would still have the show. But, um, you know, there's always next year. But you know, you kind of tie the. And I've learned after having a show for ten years and having a shop for twenty, twenty seven. Marketing an entity is a lot different than marketing an event. So at least I have a different perspective. If somebody comes to me for a question and goes, hey, you know, what should I do for this or what should I do for that? I at least got experience where I could tell people because it's a completely different animal. Share sure, really some differences. Um, the event, a lot of people in this area that run events, they wait to the last minute. And people in this area are notoriously lazy and planning and saving money for stuff and i just know that from experience you can't you can't run an event on a saturday and not tell anybody but until the wednesday before i start two months before our show and before that i use the cheaper easier things like social media and our direct mail okay we have a mailchimp account with two thousand people on it okay beginning of the year here's the date for the show and then we start announcing guests that we have lined up. And then Free Comic Book Day, which is a national holiday, is the first weekend in May. So it's naturally two months away from our show. So, of course, every free comic book we give out has a flyer in it. And then we have people sign up to try to win tickets. you know. And then we start with the TV commercials. And then a month before the show, we put the billboards up and kind of crescendo that way. And it's a lot – it's a lot – more frustrating because you've everything's finite you know where with the show with the shop i basically run the same commercials over and over and over and you know a lot of people are like you should change your commercial i go yeah but if you keep hearing at the same time then you know you you know that and i've i've learned that from kenny at the sunrise because he's the master right and you, you talk to you talk to he's anybody good at promoting he is kenny and you talk to people about warren businesses who do you you know whose commercials do you remember the most Obviously, Tom Duma's on the you know on the radio all the time, and Kenny's on that all the time. And then they even you know the Valley Classics, and of course the Car Guys. And I mean, growing up, who 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 doesn't remember Reisman's Reisman's Downtown Niles? You know, it's Pam from Reisman's. And I mean, I was ten years old, and I was like, I hate that broad, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it was effective in the same yeah, way with like. There. The guys at Ryers, you know, where? Oh, Ryers in downtown Sharon. I mean, that stuff sticks with you. I, I mean, I was on the burger review board and, and Sunrise won burger of the year. So we made a commercial and basically Brittany, who's still there, she, she was three or seven years old at the time. She came out in a duck costume and we were all dressed up and she's, you know, winner, winner, chicken dinner. And we're like, blah, 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 blah. But the end of the commercial was you can't beat our meat. So somebody came in and talked to Kenny about it. I was like, I didn't like your commercial. And Kenny's like, well, what was the commercial beforehand? I don't remember. What was the commercial after ours? I don't remember. You remembered my commercial. Ta-da! Yeah. You know, that's yeah. what, you know, I want to say all press is, you know, bad press is, and good press is all good press. But right. um, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to where I could take a, a percentage of my profits and, and put it back into promoting. 
So, um, and we've even done stuff where we've had other uh, businesses down here just last year and do like a shop downtown Warren, you know, do a 30 second snippet where, you know, this week features, you know, the speakeasy and Charbonnets or whatever. And this time it's all American comics and artistics and that. So it's nice to individually market yourself. But I mean, even like the Pine Tree Plaza and Niles used to have commercials all the time with, you know, this week we're featuring whatever the case may be. And I said, we should do this down here too. We should. I mean, you can't just word of mouth and, you know, and, and, you know, some kind of write up from Andy in the entertainment section, you know, which is always helpful. Andy does us great, but I mean, you can't rely on the same marketing strategies from five years ago, even, you know, to do it now. But, you know, I tell people, I go, uh, I'm probably, if I'd have to guess, I'm probably in the top 10% of comic stores in the country that, you know, for a marketing budget for our size. I mean, it's, and people ask them, like, it works, but you have to spend money smartly and, you know, not be afraid to wait. Can't take an ad out and expect a week later you're getting rushed in. People beating down your door. Hey, I saw that. What advice would you give to a kid who's graduating high school, let's say, or maybe graduating college and having some ideas of opening up their own shop? Whether it's comic books, sports cards, whatever the case may be. Getting back to the first thing, my brother and I opened up our store with a thousand bucks on his credit card and my credit card. That was it. What'd you spend that $2,000 on? Uh, More inventory and fixtures. I mean, we had our own comic collection, so slat wall, stuff like that. Um I always tell people, if you want to open up a business, the first thing you should do is write down a few things. One of them is like, who's your competition? Because you are not going to revolutionize the cola industry or the fast food industry or, you know, you're not going to take on Jeff Bezos. You're not going to make a small computer. I mean, pick and pick your battles. I mean, I didn't I didn't pick running a comic book store in a game store because there was nobody around. I've, we've made a list between 1990 to 2020 between Trumbull Mahoney and Columbiana County, me and my bro- buddy who used to work at a couple of them, we counted over 60 different comic book, gaming, or sports card stores. 60 to 65. And that was just the ones we could remember. And now there's like four left. But you, you got to know your competition. Uh, you got to know what kind of profit margin on the products you have will work. I mean, I get guys that come in all the time. Hey, will you match online prices? I go, as long as it's not owned by a company by a billionaire, well, it's Amazon. I've got overhead, you know, and I can't sell a hundred thousand of an item at two cents profit because my business model doesn't work that way. So a lot of the stuff we look at is to find stuff that Amazon, Target, Walmart, and the mass market stores don't carry. So they come to us and we got to be competitive in that way too. Um, you know, how does your product move online? What kind of profit margins can you make there? And also, I had somebody who was like, "I want to take over, take over this bridal store." And I said, "You just got married, right?" She's like, "Yeah." I said, "You plan on having kids?" "Yeah." I said, "If you own your own business, the last thing you want to do within the first five years is..." not work to take care of a child. I said, she's like, well, I'll hire somebody. I go, that's all your profit right there. You'll just spin your wheels. 
I go, there's no point in doing it then. I said, you have to be there. My employees have all worked with me 20 years or more, and there's still people coming and only want to deal with me. Yeah. Let me talk to the boss. You have to be there, you know. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing is just finding a niche. It's it's not easy, you know. That's I, that's an important thing to, to bring out. It's not easy. It's not easy. It, I don't t- expect it to be. I think a lot of people expect, you know, I'm oversimplifying the subject. But when you start a business, you know, if you tell the average person, yeah, I have, I have my own business, whatever. They automatically assume, for number one, you're rich. Oh, yeah. And number two, that it happened overnight. But that, but when you like we were learning today, you had that store down in Bournemouth for twenty two years. I just found out two three years ago. We were in the Fawn Plaza next to the Blue Wolf for seventeen years, and my brother in law lives in Pittsburgh, but he was from Akron, and he would meet former college classmates he went to in Akron that lived around here at the Blue Wolf, which is on the other side of the plaza. Not knowing my comic book store was seventeen feet away. He goes, you ever eaten at Blue Wolf? Twice a week, every week for the last 10 years. Oh, how, why so often? I go, my store's four doors down, Tim. Well, I didn't know that. Thanks, brother. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. You know, and I, I even tell my guys to this day, you assume after being around so long, everybody knows. But the general public, right. if they're not looking, doesn't know that either. So, I'm, I, you know, hey, first time in? Yeah. And I give him a business card. I got another store in Boardman or vice versa. I got a store in Warren. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, thanks for coming in. And I mean, with the, some of us, it's not like we sit there with clipboards like some of these places and go, how'd you hear about us? Because I just don't have the time or the patience to put that kind of info together. But, you know, I had a guy come in one time. He's like, do you guys advertise? You know, I just found out about about you know your shop down here and i'm like yeah radio tv cable billboards i don't you can't know. reach everybody can't reach everybody but and that's what we strive to do i mean you can count on your hands proverbially how many people are hardcore comic book magic card Yu-Gi-Oh players it's the general public that are getting to this that i'm trying to reach right i mean you've got one percent of the population that know this stuff I'm trying to reach the 99% that might only come in once or twice and go, eh, it's not for me. But, you know. I have a kid who's interested. I have a kid who's interested or I got a nephew I got to buy some for. I got a niece because we've got a lot more females coming in now too. Um, Have you thought about, speaking of, have you thought about uh, offering uh, cosplay, unit costumes or to in that world? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we run the biggest cosplay contest at the show. And when we do free comic book day, I get some of those guys to show up. But I am so old school, and I don't know about you. When we grew up in the 70s and early 80s, Halloween was a kid's Uh, thing. Yes. Now it's become just another excuse to have St. Patty's Day in a costume and get drunk for the adults. Yeah. And, And my brother and I have had many conversations on what year did Halloween turn from a kid's holiday to an adult holiday. And we come up with like 1994, 1995. I could be wrong, but you know, it's stuff like that. And I tell people, I go, look, nobody detests (laughs) costumes on adults more than I do, but I throw the biggest costume party in the state, you know, which is fine because it's so big right now. The first two or three years we had the show, nobody showed up in costume. And then, 
God bless his soul, Mike Wilson shows up in his Nightmage costume, who's one of the top cosplayers in the world and happens to be a Mahoney County Sheriff and runs my cosplay stuff for the show. He's like, hey, I got this uh, guy I made. It's called Nightmage. You mind if I show up at the show in costume? And this is like at year two or three at the hotel. I'm like, dude, I don't care. He's the only guy walking around. And then every year, more and more people, because even though they might not like reading comic books or that, hey, I like dressing up like Batman. Still fun, yeah. Still fun. And I don't have anything against it, but I'm turning into the get off my lawn. You curmudgeon. Yeah, I'm turning into a a crusty old curmudgeon. People are like, why don't you dress up? I go, well, if the press comes in and they tell you, you know, or whoever wants to interview me, I'm not going to sit there looking like Captain America. Captain America yeah. on camera. Yeah. I'm sorry. You should do it. It'd be funny. Anyway. No, it would yeah. not be funny. I'll do Silver Surfer. Just paint me silver and yeah. give me a surfboard. Yeah. But I mean, I the cosplay stuff's great. I mean, and kids love it and they show up and I love seeing it, especially the ones like the toddlers, mm-hmm. the ones that are still getting carried around by mom and dad. And they're dressed up as you know, Princess Leia and somebody's got a little Darth Vader with them. And I mean, it's it's cute. And I'm not I'm not that much of a, you know, a cranky old man. I mean, I appreciate it. And it's a big part of our show. And it's a big part of the culture. But me and my buddy went to Kent one time at Halloween. We're the only two people, literally out of 10,000 people, didn't have a costume on. And I'm like, I would have thought somebody else wouldn't have had a costume on. I just came up to hang out. And it's like, whoa, this is like... Crazy. It's like OU for Halloween, only there's no cars on fire, but everyone's yeah. dressed up, you know, and, you know, and this was like the mid 90s. And I'm like, wow, I never would have guessed that. But because I tell people, I'm like, I quit going to Halloween parties when I was 12. And I said, if, once I hit seventh grade, I never wore a costume. You're in junior high. Yeah. That's kids. You're grown stuff. up now. Grown up now. Yeah, yeah. Give me an egg. I'm going to get that house with an egg. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to. Sit around, you know, the last year I went Halloween, I went as Paul Stanley from Kiss, you know, because back then Kiss was good. And then you turn 13 and go, these guys are terrible. I'm glad you're the one who said that because I've never been a Kiss fan. I was never a fan of theirs, but they have such a huge following. Oh, my God. They've been so influential. And I've listened to some of their music. What is this? Studio Kiss is... we had a joke down at the shop. What's worse, Studio Kiss or Solo Ozzy? Because they both stink. Yeah. And it's like, ooh, that's a good one. But most of them pick Studio Kiss because everyone's like, Ozzy has some good tunes. I'm like, if you really listen to Ozzy, not the Sabbath stuff, but the Ozzy solo stuff, I'm like, look at that. I said, Ozzy basically had the same lyrics as Guns N' Roses. They're just bland and terrible. When but You can't say that. I just did. When Randy Rose is with Ozzy. Those albums were fantastic. They were great. Fantastic. And then after that, um, well, you know when uh, some of the Zach Wild stuff wasn't bad. Jakey e. Lee, when they had uh, when he did the Ultimate Sin album, Ozzy, that was a great album too. Um, and then after that, I mean, Zach Wild's a great uh, guitarist, Guitar- great musician, Black right. Label Society. Um, but it's just I, I it was no same. longer an Ozzy fan. No, I mean, I'm still well, a fan same way with Kiss. Yeah. I mean. My brother's favorite Kiss guy was Ace, and mine was and mine was Peter. And when they left the band in eighty and eighty one, it's like I'm not watching listening to these guys anymore. Yeah. And then of course we went to the reunion tour in ninety six and ninety eight, and then somehow this is how far it's come. My brother scored tickets when they were at Cavelli two or three years ago for like twelve bucks, and I went and saw it, and I'm like, never seeing these guys ever again. I don't care if they come and play the backyard. That was 
the most cliched. And then you get guys, that was the greatest concert of all time. I'm like, no. I said, you go see you too. You want to see a great rock band put on a great show? Go see you too. I said, because all the other bands I like are gone. I said, I've seen the who three times. They were untouchable. Uh, you know, I saw, I saw every rush tour from 84 to 20, you know, that's one band. I wish I would have got seen. I never saw rush. Believable. I played the drums. Try oh. to. And, you know, for, of course, Neil, Neil Peart's a, yeah. is a god among men. I was at Modern Methods when I found out that he had passed. And I'm like, it was like 10 o'clock at night and I started drinking heavily. And then my dad called and said, I got to take mom to the ER, meet me there. And I'm like, I can't even more Neil, you know, mom yeah. is fine. And it's like, I, I got like six beers in me, dad. He's like, ah, come help your mother. And I'm like. I was there till four in the morning, you know, and I got people texting me, hey, did you see Neil died? And I'm like, I'm at the ER. I'm sorry. I got, you know, I got to mourn later. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we I left from Kiss and my buddy's older brother had permanent ways of moving pictures. So it's like 80, 81. I'm like, hey, these guys are pretty good. Yeah, and they talk, you know, they're nerds. Oh, yeah. I'm going to watch that. I'm going to listen to these guys. But I mean. My spectrum of music ends at about 1993. I don't care for anything past that. Nothing against it, but... You like you what know, you like. I like what I like. I tell people, you know, one of my favorite new bands are uh, Rage Against Machine and the Black Crows, and they just like, what are the new bands? I'm like, name me a band since then that's any good that falls in that genre of music. What about the Foo Fighters? Okay, I mean... I said, I love Dave Grohl. He's a great guy. I've met him. Thank God he's still around. But out of all the grunge bands, Nirvana was not at the top of my list. It was Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, and Soundgarden. I go, those were my three bands because they rocked harder than Nirvana did. I'm just an A-level rock and roll guy. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. you know. And I'm like, Nirvana tried to be the, you know, the poet laureates and all that other stuff, but Musically, besides Dave Grohl, those guys weren't any good. Cobain stunk. He, he, he was not a guitar. technical guitarist no. at all. Yeah. And Chris Novoselic, <laughs> you know, he, he was, was not decent. technical either. No, yeah. but I mean, you. But the, but for that, that that's what you needed. But that's what the it's yeah. like. Yeah. Punk isn't you know, a technical right. I was like style. You know, and people, you know, when uh, the early '80s when they came out with alternative music and. The one kid who works for me always listens to that. I go, you know why they call it alternative? It's alternative to good because they can't play their instruments. They're terrible. You know, it's like I'm my brother-in-law will go to a bar and he'll get three bucks and play every Smith and Cure tune because that's what I want to hear at a bar watching a football game. Yeah. Is listening There's to a the, time and place for the, the Smith cure. and the Cure. And I'm like, yeah. And it's not watching Buckeyes. I can tell you that. Yeah. I'm like, Tim, I'm going to kill you. Or... Michigan fans listen to the Cure when Ohio, they play Ohio State. They have to yeah. because they want to kill themselves. Yeah, right. So let's 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 <laughs> let's change gears a little bit. So you you got on city council. Um, that was luck. Oh come on now. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is all positive, man. I know. Uh, so you got on city council. I want to talk a little bit about that. You don't have to go. I don't. Sure. You know, no dirty details or anything. But oh. I want to kind of. The rest of the time, we have it about 15, 20 minutes. Uh, I want to hear a little bit about that, but I also want to hear some of your ideas of uh, what you think, be also based on your time on city council, what you think needs to be done at a city level from city government um, to 
I'm a very optimistic person. I, I believe full heartedly we can stop the population loss and start increasing population. I believe it. There's no question in my mind it can be oh. done. So w- I want to hear your thoughts. Okay. Um, so when did you get on city council? I, and what was your ward? Fourth ward, which is down here, obviously. Downtown. In, uh, downtown, uh, out to Burton, on the right-hand side of Niles Road, up a couple blocks past the hospital, and then up Market Street, Harrison, that area there, and then up to the closest side of Washington by the library. And I ended right here on the square. If you go across into Perkins Park, that's Ward 2. But it's one of the largest land sizes, but it's one of the smallest uh, population-wise. I was approached by a few people that was on council and or looking for higher office saying, we need, have you ever thought about running for public office? I'm like, are you kidding me? That's not me at all. And they're like, we don't think you can do a worse job than some of the people that were on at the time. And... I was like, I don't know. I I was in a rut of basically automatic autopilot of going to bed at two or three in the morning, get up at 10 or 11, and then coming to the store and doing whatever. I'm like, yeah, maybe I should grow up a little bit, even though I'm 46 years old at the time or 45. So I got my petitions. This is spring of 2011. Obviously, since there's no such thing as a Republican council person as long as you win the primary you win the general because there's nobody to run against you 99 percent of the time you ran as a republican no i ran as a democrat, democrat. so i only had to win the the primary right. so i tried you know i hired a somebody to help with my campaign and i wound up winning by 14 votes over a two-time incumbent and and past union head or union rep at Packard. So, I mean, it wasn't like this person was some flim flam, you know, one, one timer. I mean, for those who don't know too, I just want to interject real quick that, uh, Warren, Ohio in the Mahoning Valley is, is very uh, hardcore Democrat. So if you run as Republican, you just by that, you're going to significantly not, maybe not so much now, but back then, reduce your risk or not risk odds of winning so right. I, for those who aren't from the area who hear, listen to the show uh, so that's why I wanted to clarify I thought you ran Republican and won no 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 okay um, me personally I'm probably closer to an independent than anything else you know wow actually listen to both sides of the story before you make a decision but now you're not allowed to do that you sir. can't do that in this area you can't do that anywhere, anywhere. you can't think uh, for yourself I, sir. sorry I'm a critical thinking person <laughs> but um, I was on two terms 2012 through 2015 I enjoyed it immensely it's very I mean you could put in as little or as uh, as much time as you want even when at my go away speech I go I still don't know what my job requirements are because there's no book it's not like you have to do this 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 the only thing you have to do is show up for meetings and vote and sign for legislation they don't have a human resource manual for this position no they sent us to some place in Cleveland with like all these other they being the city yeah the city uh sent us and it was like other council people and other uh like i wouldn't say elected officials but upcoming elected officials and 
and sat there for three or four hours up at Independence, and I wound up going to Tremont and going to Lolita, and I got obliterated, and then waited, took a nap in my car, and came home, but it was worth it, you know, it was like the other new council person was like, hey, you want to hang out? No. Yeah, I'm going to go eat, watch Ohio State lose to Kentucky, and the NCAAs is the number one seed, and I drank two and a half bottles of champagne, and that was it. But um, I enjoyed my time. You know, I, I took the job very seriously. I never missed a meeting. Even when I got my hernia done on a Monday, I was there on a Wednesday, and they're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, it's my job. And I made sure at my last meeting, I made that apparent to all the other people that I didn't think took the job as seriously as they should. You know, and I said, I was always punctual. And then I did the same quasi-dirty look to the people that show up late every time. You know, Vince Lombardi said, if you're five minutes early, you're 10 minutes late. And I believe that 100% in business and in life. You know, I'm always early. I try to do the right thing. I want to set a good example. Like another cliche, Jim Trussell, if you're going to be a CEO of a company, you got to do it 24 hours a day. Can't just pretend off, you know. And I try to... Exude, you know, hey, this guy cares, knows what he's doing. And we had, I mean, there's great people. I have not, I, I didn't leave the city because I was discouraged or anything. I just had other things going on. And, and the time constraints was just terrible because I went to every committee meeting, even if I wasn't on the committee or not. So we had a finance committee meeting every week. We had regular council every two weeks. I was on the Trumbull Art Gallery board. A couple of neighborhood groups, this and that. I mean, every day I walked, I had to look at my, look at my phone and go, oh, where am I going today? And what am I got to do? And it just got tough on my employees too. It's like, oh, I got to leave for three hours. And it basically came down to my bread and butter, which was my business. Not that it suffered at all, but I was getting away from it too much. And then I just decided not to run. But, um, I, I took some heat on the, uh, I don't want to say heat, I, the uh, the one Facebook group on, you know, Old Warren. It's like, if you could change one thing, what would you do? I said, I'd bring the jobs back and gentrify the city as I much saw as that. possible. I applauded, and I, sir. Yes. I rem- and I had to explain to this person, gentrification is not, doesn't apply to race. And I said, if you looked, I said, I want the jobs back, too, because without the jobs, the people aren't going to come. You can't get people to migrate back to an area if they don't have anything to migrate back to, except for, I went to Harding in 1974, and uh, heck with you Westsiders. It's like, I am tired of listening to 65-year-old people bicker about East Side, West Side. Don't care. Me too. I don't care. Western Reserve was around from 66 to 1990 it's been lo- it's been gone longer than what it did nothing against the west side people nothing against the east side people but you still have a schism in this city that's uh, ridiculous which is absolutely it's ridiculous, ridiculous. where'd you go to sh- school oh, i went to reserve yeah, and it's like where'd you go to school hardy only people i get to say that to are the kennedy kids because we hated those guys they don't count up. they don't count sorry yeah, you don't I'm count sorry. i'm sorry you don't count no so you know, I went to reserve, and I'm tired of it. It's a, it's it's really a hindrance to the city. And I mean, realistically, um, you, you do have people on the east side who really look down on west side guys, yeah, or and people in general, and it's just ridiculous. So uh, that's I problem. I think I'm gonna have to set up a show just for that. But uh, I always remind people: you may not know this, but reserves record against Harding in football was 14 to eight. Yep, and and bas- they own the 80s. Owned it, and in foot basketball, it was 35 to 20. So 
you could talk all you want. Now, with that being said, I'm more about unity. And you right. know that. I'm like, listen, we got to get together, period. We have to. All right. We can't be this this constant, you know, no offense to my Harding friends, old school, because the new school, they, they, the kids don't care. Kids don't care. They don't care. No. They're looking at this thing. And why is there red in our field? You know, I'll talk to kids who uh, aren't from Warren and they go to other schools and they're like, I always wondered why they had red on the field. That's not even their colors. You know, it makes us look dumb. It really right. looks, it makes us look like the Hatfield well, McCoys. I don't know what your thoughts are, but I don't think there's anything that's a bigger waste of money and look looking in the past than that facade they have. Oh, don't get me there. started. That's cost a million bucks. Real quick. And then I want, <laughs> I want to get into pick your brain a little more. So my understanding was, is when they save that piece, my understanding when they put that on the ballot to raise the additional money to do it, I thought they were going to keep that, that facade and the wings and incorporate the building into it. That had been beautiful. So I don't know where the communication got dropped or miscommunicated to where we're just keeping this thing and it's going to cost you a million dollars. Yeah, we, we got we got taken. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, taken. we got a new high school out in Levittsburg. I mean, I miss my old high school in that. But part of the city, you know, state mandate to get that money is you have to tear the properties down or sell them. And a lot of these people yeah. don't understand, like, I can't believe they tore down West Jr. Well, if you knew what you were talking about, you wouldn't look like an idiot. Well, West Jr. still stands, but that's all right. I'm, you know, I know what I'm saying. East all Jr., the buildings Turner, came all down. Right. Yeah, because yeah, so, West is still over there because the community good, center, good friends with right. Van Nelson yeah. and all those guys. I, I love that building. Anyway, yeah. So let's, let's – I want to pick your brain a little bit more. we got about 10 minutes, five to 10 minutes left. About, about that? Okay. So um, uh, I want to thank Kim running the uh, engineer. Thank you. Sound. Keeping us on track. On track. So, with your time on city council, what do you think, based you know, with that information you have serving, what maybe your top three to five ideas? How can the city? What can the city do to position itself? What can the city do to make Warren more attractive to bring business in, to uh, create jobs or to? turn things around. I mean, I believe ultimately it's going to take private enterprise to come in, yes. buy up the old stuff, you need tear down the old stuff, buy up the old stuff, fix it up and put in businesses. But you have to attract them here. We have you, we've had the people, uh, Eric and Stacy with cockeye, they yep. did their own thing. Um, there's a new, I'm not going to get into it that I've mentioned you before we start recording. Someone bought a building. They're going to be doing stuff there, but these are all local people. Right. And that's good. And we need that. And I think ultimately that's the foundation. But we need more. What do you think is what are some things that if you had a magic wand, you would do? The city of Warren has to rely on more than just people getting wanting to move back. You can't you can't. I mean, I love Mark Marvin and what he's done. You can't expect 10 Mark Marvins to come in and change the city around. Um, the city has nobody in its any arm of its government that is accountable for economic development would you repeat that please the city of warren does not have anybody anywhere on its uh you know payroll for economic development they have community development which mike in his office helps with stuff like that you have tony at rap but none of those guys if there was ever something laid down on a desk and said we need to get this done nobody would get axed because nobody has that job you know it's like okay we'll use medvec a little bit we'll use the planning commission we'll do that but there's nobody whose job is to go out 
and headhunt. Be proactive. Everything's reactive. So the first thing you do is create a economic development department. Yes, or hire somebody to do that. I'm not talking, you know, the regional chamber or anything like that, because all those places are for profits and this and this and this and yeah, nothing. You know, they could say they're nonprofits, but there is nobody that markets Warren. There's nobody that headhunts for Warren. When I was on council, we did a tour of TCTC and their AV department was great. I said, wouldn't it be great if we made a DVD that was five minutes and we went to every college within six hours of here with an entrepreneurial program and said, hey, we have cheap housing. I mean, it's easy if you want to go to New York where all the people are, but if you want to start in on the ground floor with low costs, whatever you want to do, come here. That's stupid. And I'm like, what? I said, Washington and Jefferson, my buddy went there. He opened up a comic book store and they finance stuff through the college. I go, there's no reason we can't go to all the liberal arts colleges, even within three hours and give a five minute presentation to an entrepreneurial thing and go, come to Warren, Ohio. You can't find a cheaper place to live. You know, real estate's cheap. And if you make it big, thank you for coming. We'll see you next time. And you're in our reasonable proximity to every major, you know, New York, six hours. Chicago, six hours. Columbus, three. Cleveland, an hour or less, depending where you live. I drive there in 58 minutes. Better watch it on 422 there. I do. Uh, You can get, you know, Akron's not a huge city, but they've got a lot going on. Um, I mean. They've got a ton. I mean, they've got a plan for. They have a plan. For 2050 to get back to 250,000 people. Uh, Does Warren have a plan? No. Anything? Uh, They were supposed to have something done by the planning commission, but. I don't know how much of that has come through with the turmoil over there, with the mm. sexual harassment, with the head over there to where they went from six employees down to one. Mm. But that, but it, that's not even Warren. No, right. That's Trumbull County. Yeah. But they were they were contracted to come up with like a plan for the peninsula. I mean, we what had happened that, to the Meyer study. That was the worst thing ever done. One hundred fifty thousand dollars. When we read through it, I'm like, I could have done this for 20 bucks. And then there was another study done not too long ago. What well, happened to that? Here, here's the thing. We got five minutes. All right. Here's the Pogemeyer study. Who's in charge of it? I didn't nobody. read anything. Nobody. Mayor O'Brien didn't put anybody in charge of it. There's no nobody in the city that you could put in charge of it to where go get this done or you're fired. It just sat on a you know sat on a shelf. And then when I got on council, I sat down at the horseshoe with John Brown and Dennis Blank and wrote out 10 things that we should work on for the city. We presented it to council and we actually got four or five of them done. But the ones that went to the people that worked for the city for real money, they didn't get anything done. And what happened to them? Nothing. They still have their jobs. You know, it's like we should work on, a you know, the bike trail. Okay, let's do that. And, you know, there were other things. Riverfront housing. Okay. Or cleaning up. I mean, we came up with 10 very simple things. And then, you know, the people on the citizens committee are yelling at us like, well, we need to hire a planner, you know, a city planner for this. That's not council's job. You talk to the mayor and the director and whoever else you want to talk to. But they don't want to. That wasn't going to happen because that would overstep the bounds of the guys who were supposed to, you know, hey, we want you to work on this. That's not my job description. Do you think? Yeah. <laughs> but we spent $180,000. It was like the amphitheater. That amphitheater was built in 2004. 
Marty and them didn't start till 2010 because that's the same year as the first year of my show. They built the thing without any idea of who the heck was going to run anything out of there. I mean, you had Walt, who did it for two years before he committed suicide. And if Kenny and Marty want to pick it up, who who's going to do that? That'd still be another empty shell. I mean, look at Packer Music Hall. That was city-owned. But you can't run events that lose money. So they had to go to JAC, and I'm... Yes, their JAC is doing a great, doing a great, great job. Great job. Oh, there. I can't believe how much money we give them. Do you want it empty or not? Right. You know, I you can you can the tough thing with that is you can nitpick the contract all day long. There's pros and cons to all of it. Everything. And you know, I, I get I've, it done. I've sat in some meetings and I've listened out that you know what you know what I've done this or that a little different. If I if it was my decision, yeah, maybe you just, you just can't please everyone. But with that being said, um, but I mean, the biggest thing is, is economic development for here, and you. You can't wait. Nobody. This isn't 1962. Do you think people are, are just afraid to step on toes? Or why do you think we're not? Why aren't? Why why are things not getting done? Because you have uneducated people in, in positions that were appointed that never learned to do their job properly. And you don't mean necessarily, not literally uneducated. They're just not no, trained in their they're job. They're not trained in their yeah. job. Yeah. Because the heads in the, as long as somebody in their department has the educational thing to do the top job in the thing, the department head could be a vegetable and mm. make 90,000 bucks a year. Mm. Well, we got to do something, but I, I do want to finish up with this. I, I go ahead. I no, give, go ahead. Sure, you know, sure. I, I mean, I've worked with Mayor Franklin. We went down to Columbus. We had the uh, entertainment district finally passed. Um, some of the things we've done, uh, it doesn't happen overnight. It was like trying to tell that guy with the gentrification. I said half the half the West Side's going to be dead in twenty years. We got a big problem with that because and our demographics stink. Yes, we have a lot of GM and Packard retirees. Next ten years, they're going to be gone. They're gone. Where's who's going to take those houses? And we have nothing for the kids to keep them here. No, we lose that, everyone from age twenty-two to thirty. And that's where one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast because I know that demographic listens to podcasts more. Probably a little older are are listening to podcasts, but. These are the things that we need to address and we need to address them now and we need to start planning for them now and we need to start holding everyone on city council and the mayor's office. It's not personal. I, I, I have no beef no, no. With, with anyone. I, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, if you if you want a more friendly, down to earth mayor, Mayor Franklin's the guy. He is. So but we have we, there's no more waiting. No, there's no more waiting. There's no more letting people off the hook. There, there's no more of it. You and you and people are paying attention now. They're watching what you do. They're watching what Mayor Franklin does and what Mr. Colbert does. And they're watching what city council does. And they're being watched and they're being called out on things that should be done. And I, I want this to be positive. I'm not I, I'm not. I'm not trying to pick on these guys. No, no, no. We're, I'm me personally. You come talk to me. I'm here to help support in whatever way I can. Because we have to do this. Because in 10 years, if we don't, the city's dead. We're at 30,000 people. It's insane. We were at 65. And then what are you going to do? You still can't carry 85 police and 80 80 police officers. So how how we get that message out to change things? I'm hoping this helps. I'm hoping what other people are doing. I'm hoping you start to see a little bit here and there. Things like Cockeye Barbecue. We're seeing some development now on, on Parkman Road. Uh, new uh, Mexican restaurant opened up. Sure. Um, Blue Jean Farm got bought. I know Good. that it's kind of in process now, but we got to get the old plaza there. Our, our, Ganary's old property out there right. needs to get developed. Our 
And they're West Market. Our biggest savior is not going to try to land some company with a thousand jobs. It's small business that have four or five jobs that grow into 40 or 50 jobs. Agreed. Agreed. And if you don't do that, you know, you're done. I'm tired of waiting on auto park it. I don't know what the. I hear different things. I I do too. And it's like, nothing against Chris Allen, but dude, it's been five years. What are you doing? What are you doing? I agree. Give an update. I'd make them every six months come in front of council and, and say this is what we've done. I, I, and again, I think the city needs to hold his feet to the fire. we yep. got to wrap it up. Sure. Uh, Mr. Bartholomew, I appreciate it. Where's your address here in Warren? 161 West Market Street on the square. Yes, the square is still West Market Street until you hit the light right. at Park Avenue by Howard's, and then it becomes East Market. And you have phone number? 330-393-3137. I appreciate it. You're a minor. You're you're a legend in a small town. I'm a legend in my own mind. That's right. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Greg. I appreciate it. Thanks, James. Defend Warren.